Nobody Comes Here to Hide is a weekly podcast for the people who feel like they aren't seeing themselves or their current position represented in the media right now. The show features in-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, innovators, artists, and creators where hopefully you get a peek into their brain and learn more about the impact they're going to make on this world. Hello, friends. This episode is a real treat. I really enjoyed speaking with Priscilla. I felt like the entire experience was like biting into a honey crisp apple. Do you know what I mean? Two things that I want to mention before this episode is underway. Priscilla has a master's in public health, and I'm certain that that comes up during the episode, but I don't know if we ever explicitly say it. So I just wanted to state her credentials because she did the work. She deserves the props. Secondly, (laughs) there's a little homemade beep in this episode, and I just wanted to point your attention to it because I think it's funny. That's all. Enjoy the show. Today, I have with me Priscilla, period. That's what your Instagram bio says, which I think is so funny. It's like, it's Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're right. It does say that. I just realized. Um, but Priscilla is the creator of Sadie Baddies um, and a mental health advocate. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, where to start? Why? <laughs> Why did you create Sadie Baddies? Tell me about this name, which I adore. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, So I started Sadie Baddies in March 2019, so about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, well, the name Sadie Baddies is basically, everyone knows what a baddie is. You know, like you have your IG baddie, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But a baddie to me is just someone that from the outside looks like they have their shit together, right? You know, they're cute, they're smart, they have, you know, a thriving social life, uh, you know, maybe they even socioeconomically, they, they have a status that makes you admire them, whether you actually know these things about them or not. Um, so I put together Sadie Baddies because I do feel like, especially with Black women, we make things look so easy mm-hmm. and we make things look so effortless that it's actually dangerous that our pain is not taken seriously. Our physical pain is not taken seriously. And then even more so our emotional pain is not taken seriously as well. So, you know, we have so many women that are suffering in silence, in silence. Um, so many people that are ashamed to tell their story and are ashamed to talk about their struggles with their emotional and mental health, which is what Sadie Baddies focuses on, mm-hmm. um, creating space for dialogue, for education, and that's all in order to destigmatize mental health and inspire people to initiate their own healing journey. Yeah, I love that. Um, regarding healing, what are some, what is in your healing toolkit for yourself? It's mm, a great question. Um, hmm. Is there a number on it, like one to five or like top? three things or no I mean maybe just what feels good right now or yeah yeah I would say everything in terms of healing healing is an ongoing process right um I've said it multiple times that healing is cyclical not linear um just to emphasize that it is it is something that can happen at any moment 
it can be something you think you healed from and then you are triggered by it again and you realize, oh, I still have work to do. And that's not to say that it's like a speck of dust that never gets clean, but it's just realizing that our trauma does morph into other things sometimes. Um, you know, our childhood trauma can manifest into adulthood, obviously. So I think it's important to remember that every stage in your life, it's a good it's it's a good idea to kind of check in with yourself and see where you need your healing and what you need healing um, from the most. Um, for me, I would say my top tool kit, tools in my healing toolbox is definitely sitting in meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that during during this whole time of like quarantine, COVID panic stay at home, working from home, my self-care routine has been really thrown off. Um, and I didn't realize how much it was affecting me emotionally and mentally. I was becoming very anxious because, you know, on top of everything that's going on in the world, I had also a lot of changes this year. I just moved um, recently, you know, I'm working from home in a, in a job that is I work in, a, in healthcare and it's very unusual. Most healthcare professionals don't work from home. We work, you know, in a clinical setting. So, you know, adjusting to that and just, um, it was overwhelming. And I realized like I wasn't, I was forgetting how to take care of myself because I was depending on old ways of how I was taking care of myself before. So I wasn't adapting to the fact that like, we're in a whole pandemic, like this is, you know, it's going to look different taking care of yourself now than it did last year, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then grieving that as well. So I think giving myself time to grieve my old life, my, my old normal, um, the freedom that we all used to have Um, living in New York, obviously like I walked down the street and like, there's places that I used to go to that are closed now, you know, Um, grieving that just in itself, I think giving your time to acknowledge the loss of a life that you're used to. For me right now, I definitely depend on meditation as a way to check in with myself and check in with my heart and my mind and my body and see how disconnected or connected the three of them are. So every single morning, I start with at least 10 minutes of meditation, sometimes longer. I'm trying to wake up earlier so I have more time Mm -hmm. to start my day. Um, So that's definitely super important for me. And then I would definitely say cooking has become more of like a nurturing practice for me rather than just like, let me scarf down a meal. I really try to take time to cook. And um, if you know me, you know that I love to cook for my friends and my my loved ones. So um, I think taking time to cook for myself has become almost ceremonial. And it's, it's not something that I take lightly anymore. I think I'm extremely fortunate to still afford plant-based foods and still afford to, you know, buy things that I like. And, you know, I think a lot of people have had to um, adjust what they're normally norm, what they're used to eating, um, whether that's because they've relocated to somewhere that doesn't have those items available or because they're unemployed and can't afford to, you know, buy everything from Trader Joe's or whatever, you know? Um, And then I would say, lastly, I would say, for me is taking care of my body. Um, definitely have realized like I have struggled with like finding a fitness routine and like the gyms are closed now. And that was my main form of, of movement every day was going to the gym. And, um, you know, I really, to, to be completely vulnerable and honest, I really, I was beating myself up for 
not having that same routine. And I'm like, how can I have that same routine when the gym is literally closed? Um, And so I was, I was being really hard on myself and really unkind to myself. So I think now I, I realize like I can still move. I can still do things that are active. Maybe it's not on a treadmill anymore. Maybe it's just me walking outside and taking a walk every single day is my form of movement now or doing yoga in my room is my form of movement now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so just yeah, being, being um, open to the adjustments that come with like this, this weird time that we're in right now, I would say. Definitely. I think, yeah. I think a large struggle that I would maybe like to pick apart is this, this concept of being flexible of adapting um, yeah. without losing or without invalidating your feelings on, mm. on loss. Um, yeah. So for instance, definitely I had a big shift for quarantine, um, but more recently I broke my toes. Um, oh no. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a dancer. I'm a gymnast. Like oh, so much so of my sorry. day, it was yeah. built around like physical habits, like morning, yeah. middle of the day and night. I had like very specific physical habits that are, um, not impossible now, but less possible maybe. Yeah. Um, and it, I, it, I think it's been like two weeks and the week that it happened that I broke my toes, I just was like, I'm not doing anything. And then I felt very depressed because I rely so much on my physical practices for right. f- to yeah. be uplifted. Um, and then this week slash like half of last week, I was sort of like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel like I feel sorry for myself because I can't do the things that feel yeah. good, but I don't know how to like, it's just my toes, <laughs> you know? like but still that's that's a huge inconvenience and that's a loss of freedom of like mm-hmm. just the freedom to move as much as you did before the way you did yeah. before that's yeah. that's valid too you know yeah and I think it's just especially as black women I think there's so much I'm maybe not the innate but the conditioned rhetoric that we have is mm. to experience an issue and say someone else has it worse. So I need oh, to, yeah. I need to calm down. I need to it's like a pull reflex. myself by the bootstraps or yeah. Right. Right. Like, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's so true. I think, I think holding space, that's what holding space for yourself is, is literally just like acknowledging your feelings and not feeling like you need a placeholder, not feeling yeah. like, Oh, though there's a condition tied to my, no, like just feeling that and having that be okay. I'm really sorry to hear about that. Mm-hmm. honestly Thank that's you. that's really hard what questions do you get a lot for saddy baddies um and then what questions do you think I'll maybe repeat it after you answer the first one but what mm-hmm. questions are you not getting that you think people more people should be asking mm-hmm. so you mean in terms of the content or in terms of just yeah. like the Oh, I guess I'm not sure if people maybe DM you and sort of say, could you touch on this topic or? Yeah, I do get, I do get DMs and I'm always like very open about like, please DM me if you have like topic suggestions, my DMs Mm -hmm. are open. I check them every day. Um, I would say I've noticed 
Okay, I haven't been getting specific questions recently mm-hmm. um, about topics or things that people want me to, you know, cover or address. But I will say that I've noticed just, I guess, because you can look at your insights and your analytics on Instagram. I've noticed that my topics that are associated with like race and social justice have been getting a lot more like engagement, I would say, mm-hmm. and a lot more commentary. So that lets me know because obviously the social climate that we're still very much in, um, I think people are really yearning for dialogue. They're yearning for a place to say, you know, this is what I've been experiencing for years. And now that someone's finally talking about it, like I have something to say, mm-hmm. I had definitely have noticed that. Um, So I've been trying to not necessarily just only cater to those topics because I think that there's a lot of things that we, you know, are talking about. And I I will say I have expanded the role of society baddies is not just um, mental health. Mm -hmm. I would say it's mental and emotional health as well. And to me, that incorporates all the elements that, you know, are involved in social justice, are involved in um, this, this racism that we're seeing and trickle down from microaggressions to police brutality to, you know, having a racist president and all these other things and seeing how that's affecting us emotionally. Because although something may not always trigger a mental response, um, meaning like you may not always feel like um, you have an immediate response to what's going on in the world, or maybe it doesn't affect your mood or whatever, I do think we all have an emotional response. And Mm -hmm. um, I think using the umbrella of mental and emotional health can kind of cover all of those spaces. I wish that people, I wish that people were yearning to have more insight about like, okay, with all of this stuff, like how do I stay Mm level-headed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I want, I'm asking that I want that to be more of a dialogue because I also want to know those things too. You know, I think those are the types of, of things that when I'm doing my own research for my, I would say I'm like kind of just a student for student of life. Like I'm always learning something. I actually have like notebooks of like different topics that I'm <laughs> studying and researching. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just me being like deeply rooted in academia and just having like such a, a commitment to expanding my knowledge of things but I really do dig deeply into topics and I I wish that people were exploring more ways that they could take okay so this is this is our world now this is what it looks like what do I do like what it what is my how do I take care of myself and sometimes taking care of yourself is not doing anything at all Mm -hmm. um there's so much pain, there's so much suffering that's going on in the world. And I don't, I know that social media is really powerful, but I think we also have to learn how to set boundaries um, with ourselves and with other people because mm-hmm. we do deserve joy. We do deserve moments of peace and, and, and quietness and, and solitude. And you don't always have to be in the mix. You don't always have to be like the spokesperson for this topic if you don't want to, you know? Right. Um, I think that's self-care. Mm-hmm. That leads me to a question of, um, with Sadie Baddies, you have, you have elected to take on a role of, if not fully like educator, certainly facilitator. Um, 
And what is that doing for you energetically? Because I have a sense that while you're also giving a lot, it probably you're receiving some as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely I would see myself as as the educator for study baddies, but like you said, I would say I honestly feel more comfortable with like the role of a facilitator because I want people to like I the reason I leave the links and the sources and you know, I got this from this website or from this art um scientific journal or this um article or this book is because I want people to do their own research. I'm not in for for me right now at least, I'm not in the role of taking on like this like entire all of this like discourse is like a lot and takes years to really understand like this i hope people know that the topics i share are literally um if you look at like a research paper i guess you can call it the abstract of the research paper it's Mm -hmm. it's literally the summary of of something that's much much deeper so i really want people to um to take the you know initiative to to do their own research and fact check me also you know Mm -hmm. Um, I welcome that. I welcome, um, with respect to obviously this being a safe space for black women. Cause I have had a couple comments here and there, you know, trying to start some stuff up and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry, but th- this is a safe space. I'm not here to defend my existence. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just certain things are, I don't, I don't compromise on that. I don't, I don't feel the need to defend my existence as a black woman on a platform that I created so if I feel like that's being violated I I don't accept that behavior but um Mm -hmm. I would say for me it definitely does feed me because you know if I if I see a comment that's like actually makes me think oh well maybe I could go deeper on this I do want to go back and do my own research or dig deeper um and I think that Saturday Betty's community completely is it's it's definitely a two-way street you know I feel like I do supply um, a great wealth of information and a lot of knowledge, um, whether it's from my own lived experience or whether it's from topics that I've just researched myself or things that I've learned in grad school. A lot of mm-hmm. what I've shared, I've actually learned in grad school, um, especially when it comes to public health, since that's my my background. But um, I would say, yeah, I've, I've learned so much from the Saudi Baddies community. And um, I feel really blessed to have a community that's so um just really balances the equilibrium of like where we are in the world right now. I feel like Saudi Baddies is like that place where I'm like, okay, I know I'm not gonna see no crazy nonsense here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be like, you know, uplifted and, and vice versa. So Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I recently surprised myself uh, by realizing that I like my mom was like so if you get a job at this place or this other place that you applied, like, which would you choose? And I was like, oh, less pay for better people. Mm. <laughs> Definitely, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I it's, think that having that autonomy is so important. It's mm-hmm. so, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to make a big difference for, you know, for you or for anyone, like, career-wise. Like, okay, what do I actually want versus what will I accept, you know? Yes. Wow. Yeah. There's definitely a gap <laughs> between. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. That's, that's some yeah. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Something I would love to pick your brain on is this concept of a user manual, which 
I received via my friend Ananya. The concept is to create a user manual for yourself. And in its original intent, it was like to be like displayed to whomever your partner is so that like, I don't know, I guess you could make the communication more efficient, but I adopted it as a form of what lessons have, what lessons have I learned more than three times that I maybe just need to like hear every time you're indecisive these are this is the thing that gets you out of it or yeah you should never speak to her again (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) I love that that's a really dope concept Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so your question is like what like how I would use it use your manual for myself or just the concept of one like what should people have in their user manual Mm, uh, you know, I guess I didn't have a question when I started talking, Okay, (laughs) (laughs) but I like, yeah, I like the second thing you were going towards of like, um, if you adopted this concept, what would be in there? Well, maybe it's too personal to say what would be in there for you, but like, what are some general topics that you would have in there? I think that for, so if I were to design one, because that's the way, for some reason, my brain is like that's how it's processing like that, that question. So if I were to design a user manual, I would definitely have a few categories. I think the first category would be almost like a mission statement in a way. Like Mm. what, what is your, your, your vibe? You know what I mean? Like what is your ideal purpose in life? And I say ideal because I know not everyone has found their purpose in life, but ideally what's your purpose in life? what you would expect someone else, how someone else can um, support you in pursuing that purpose. And then also like what you require in order to keep going to -hmm. where resources you need, you know? Yeah. And then I think there's so many other things that you could, could add into there, but Mm -hmm. that off the top of my head, I think those are the three things that would definitely start off a user manual, personal user manual. That's really cool. That's yeah. Awesome. That's a dope question. I've never gotten that before. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that you have a YouTube channel. Is it still active? Yes. It is still active. Yes. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm really interested in which medium suits you best. With, like the IG graphics or yeah. the YouTube? I would say for me, definitely Instagram. I would say it's just easier to pro- like to share information that way. I have taken a break from doing YouTube videos for a lot of reasons. Like I mentioned, I had just moved recently. I'm like still like settling in. And, you know, it's really hard to just say pick up a camera and like, boom, ready to go. And it, you're feeling, I feel like video content is harder for sure. Like I have talked to YouTubers and people that, vlog and do this for a living because you really really have to be in a good state of mind to do video content because it shows like your energy will show there's I actually have done videos that I wanted to share and I scrapped them because like I could see the anxiety in my face and I could see how uncomfortable I was or how unsettled I was and I don't it's not that I want to share that energy because I feel like Sadie Baddies is all about being real and authentic and vulnerable it's just that for me if I'm talking about confidence or talking about something else, 
I want to embody that. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a disservice to, honestly, it's more of a disservice to me than to the community for me to force myself to be, to perform. Um, I never want Sadie Baddies to be a performative space and I'm so happy it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, feel like I have been very vulnerable um, on Sadie Baddies and still been able to like maintain a good amount of privacy I would say, but I definitely feel like video content is harder because you really can't like fake it in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. And then also just like quarantine really threw off a lot of things, like just having access to certain stuff and like space and, you know, but um, for me, I think Instagram is, I've met so many, so many amazing women um, through Instagram, just like by commenting and like sharing their work and vice versa and like DMing and, um, there is like this amazing like virtual sisterhood going on mm. right now, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. And I hope that I can keep fostering that for other women for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you first started the Instagram, were you scared? Like, did you, or maybe not, maybe it wasn't the very first post, but was there a time early on when you were posting something that was like, somewhat personal to you and you sort of were like you could feel your body get a little bit like oh Oh, yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely there's there's a lot of topics I would say there's several topics that you know I I'll give you a most recent example Mm -hmm. even though I know you asked me from like when I started it but yesterday I was working on my post on, on code switching and I was like I had typed like examples of code switching and I was like no I don't want to give examples of code switching because I don't want I don't want the way that I speak as a black woman to be looked at as like something that needs to be defined in a dictionary or something that Mm -hmm. like do you know what I mean like yeah the white gaze dominates everything that we do and it literally dominates the way we speak, the way we think, the way we interact with, with others. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to do is have, because I know that even if I were to put a post like that, um, and it could be, it could be insightful for some people, you know, but knowing that this space is designed for black women, but it is also inclusive to other, you know, other people, other races, other identities. I Mm -hmm. feel like sometimes when you're making something that is so specific, it can be, it can get drowned out a little bit when you over explain it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to like put like chow and then like someone's like, okay, what does that mean? Because like there's people that don't know what it actually means and are saying it just because it's popular on TikTok or like, I'm going to go to the store and, like, whatever. Like, I don't want to have to break that down for anyone. Like, whoever I'm speaking to knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, the way I speak to my partner is completely different than the way I speak to, like, you know, people at work. Or, you know what I'm saying? So I just feel like when you're in those spaces, that that actually keeps, like, the, the sacredness of it is knowing, like, that person knows what I'm talking about, you know, and they understand me and that's it. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, there's no, there's no need to have like a breakdown of like definition of like, this is what black people mean when they say this. Like, I yeah. feel like that just reinforces like the stereotypes that we have. So I decided not to put that, um, to share that post. But when I first started Saudi Baddies, of course, I was super, I was nervous about how it would be perceived, especially when I, you know, cover topics on, um, um, for example, like sexual trauma. I knew that that would be an extremely triggering topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really, I was concerned I wasn't, not necessarily do it justice because there's only justice I can do it is just by sharing that information and sharing those resources. But mm-hmm. I was concerned that it would just not, it would not articulate the weight of like sexual trauma and it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it. Um, the words that I shared wouldn't do it enough of how truly awful that is, you know, to experience sexual trauma. So, you know, I I was concerned about that. Um, I think when I also did a topic on black trans lives, you know, I was worried about being looked as performative and I was worried about how have I shown up for the black trans community in other ways other than just doing this post? And it really made me just like check in with myself and really sit down and be like, okay, maybe you could definitely do more work. And I held myself accountable, you know, and I, I, I dug into what organizations I want to continue donating to and not just for this one time or just for, for pride month. Like that's not enough. Like, you know, and, it's, it's correcting transphobic um, language. It's calling people out when they are being blatantly or subtly um, trans, transphobic. And um, there, it's also understanding that I don't even know. This is like, the, I, I have so much more to learn um, in order to really say that. Like, I, I, I don't think that allies should appoint themselves to being allies. Like, just like I wouldn't want a white person being like, I'm an ally. Like, yeah. oh, okay. No, <laughs> I got to you check <laughs> your references, bro. Yeah. yeah, where are your references? Like, no, no, no. Like, I wouldn't want a white person being like, yeah, I'm an ally. I'd be like, no. Like, mm-hmm. that's not something you give yourself a title to. I don't want to point myself to saying I'm a, a trans um, ally because mm-hmm. I did this, this, and that. Like, no, that's what we should all be doing. Like, I don't give myself a pat on the back for creating a dialogue that should have been created, honestly, you know? So yeah, I do get nervous. I, I think anyone that does digital um, content creation knows that they're going to be evaluated and like whether people like it or not, like you have to share, um, you know, but you also want to be respectful of like the community that you're building and make sure that you're honoring them and making them feel like, they have a role in the conversation. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. I, I agree with what you were saying where doing something, like making one post, for instance, even if your intention was genuine, all, it's almost outside of your decision or your control whether or not that is performative. Do you know what right. I mean? Like you can have right. your internal understanding of this is not a performance, I'm doing this genuinely, but that does not... Yeah have to translate or mean that anyone else has to accept that as right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the scary part is knowing that like what your best, your best may still look like minimal effort to someone else, especially someone else who's been oppressed and is constantly being oppressed and whose life is not valued. 
So, yeah, like that, it's like sometimes you got to take that out. Like, you know, I'm going to try my best, but this may not be enough. And that's, is it okay? You know? Yeah. What do you do? You just keep, I think that's why I think I really try to, like I said, I have a commitment to being a student of life and constantly learning and not feeling, I feel like the word woke is really dangerous. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. often because woke gives this illusion that you've learned, you've like passed this like level of, of understanding and like, it's like binary. It's like an, on yeah. And yeah. That is not what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not, it's not. And I, I think sometimes a lot of like woke dialogue is very problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't like that word. I think it's kind of like washed anyway, but <laughs> I just, I try my best to not assume that I know everything because we really don't. There's so much more that we can learn mm-hmm. about each other. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Another thing that you touched on a little bit earlier was this um, not having to define something in order and like knowing that people will still get it. And I do think that there's something, I mean, there's always something there, but um, there's something to giving people like a silhouette and allowing them Mm -hmm. to fill it in. I think that can be very powerful, like mode of connection. Um, Yeah. And then on a related but different track, if you were only using, for instance, like child or finna, like as, as your examples, you're also right. sort of that is um, excluding a certain type of black person who maybe like yeah. grew up in the suburbs, um, right? Like me, with, like around, <laughs> right? You know, I, do you know yeah. who Dulce Sloan is? No, she is. She is um, one of my favorite comedians. But one of her like jokes, or one of her contextualizing jokes, is that she's like. She moved to LA and she like didn't know where the black people were. And then they were like, well, go to Compton. And she was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm a third generation suburbs black. Like I, those aren't my people either. They just are black. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crying. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. I yeah. need to look that up. It's it, yeah. I think <laughs> the point I was sort of getting at is that there's, in trying to defend blackness often to non-black people, we do have to, for the purpose of simplicity, or even when you give an example, then people will just take that example as the whole. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's, there's so much depth. There's so much, right. Or maybe breadth, both. I don't, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. I Mm -hmm. think you're so right about that because just like you said, like I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I moved to New York almost a decade ago and I've been here ever since. And it's so funny. Cause it's like, there's things that I just learned to like adopt and like to, you know, to, I grew to understand not because that was my lived experience. Cause mm-hmm. growing up in the suburbs and growing up in the inner city are completely two completely different experiences. And, um, I don't take that lightly. I feel like, I feel like I have to be authentic to myself. Like I do think that I am allowed to be multifaceted and I'm allowed to, to code switch and to, you know, to feel like I can speak 
a different way when I am comfortable speaking that way without it being performative, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I am first generation American. So the way my parents speak versus how I speak are completely different. And like tone is everything in an African household. Like you say something a certain way, it's like, Oh, who are you, who are you talking to? Like, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's not even that deep. Like, you know, and I, I know like, growing up like if I didn't say yes mom or yes dad like to have like their name in it they wouldn't respond and it was like the weirdest thing I would just say yes and it'd be silence and I'd be like oh yes mom and then they would say like oh okay come up here and do dishes I'm like you know it's just it's it's like this the nuances of language and like um tone and how we you know body language are so interesting and I think like you said like not I think examples are really helpful for people that are trying to learn. However, that's up to you to do like that research on your own. And I don't also feel like everything needs to be like research. Like if you're a white person that sees my post on code switching and you're like, Oh, well maybe I can ask my black friend what this means when she says this, like, no, maybe that's not for you to understand, you know? And, and having certain, I feel I'm, right? yes, I am you, baffled at how little yeah. Google is utilized for these things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's so important because I just, I feel like our culture, I think black culture is definitely like the one culture that for some reason is like up for grabs. Like mm-hmm. everybody just wants to like incorporate elements of black culture into like what they do and like what they develop. Mm-hmm. And some things are sacred. And I think the way we speak to each other, especially as black women, like I don't think anything warms my heart more than like when I see another black woman and she just kind of like smiles at me and like says nothing else, like on the train. And I'm just like, yes, like affirm me. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. A, a quick you know? charge. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. It's just like, <laughs> I just, there's been so many times like I've sat on the train and I've been like across from another black woman and someone next to to me is like doing something weird. And like, I make a face and then she makes a face mm-hmm. and it's like this silent, like, conversation and I just think things like that and moments like that are so special um yeah and I really hold on to them Mm -hmm. I didn't know that you were first generation and I'm also first generation and oh I wonder how have you interacted with the with the label of like black American Mm. just so for more context I have always felt distinctly other in all in every area yeah. Um, where I was like, okay, this concept of American, yes, I got the passport, but my house might as well be Jamaica. Like the way yeah. that I was raised <laughs> and the way that I think, you know what I mean? And so yeah. how, yeah, I've just always had this weird thing of like, I'm not sure about this label. I mean, I am sure about this label, but I'm also like, I'm not sure about the definition of it Yeah, for myself. Yeah, I think I didn't. I didn't feel like, I mean, growing up in the suburbs and being first gen is so weird because you're definitely the, like the weird kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like for international day at school, I remember like kids bringing other stuff and like I brought like jollof rice and like mm-hmm. meat pies and stuff. And it just, you're definitely, I would say there's definitely an otherness about you when you're first gen. Um, I think my identity is, I, I am a black woman. I identify as a black woman. Um, I like being called a black woman. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly feel 
a connection or desire to be called African-American. It means nothing um, to me. It means nothing to me. Yeah. yeah I, I really honestly don't feel deeply rooted in my nationality as an American, mm-hmm. to be honest, because my experience is, is very unique to being um, first-generation American. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think my my experience is more relevant as being a first generation, like the first generation in my entire family to be born here is me and my sisters and my cousins, you know, like Mm -hmm. that to Mm -hmm. me is like way more of an identifier of like the way that I am, the way my values were designed for me before Mm -hmm. I was even born, the way that um, everything and American is like less of a like, modifier than I would yeah. say being first generation American to African immigrants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I very much feel that where if I look at the, if I look at the things that people can use to identify me, like me being a woman, I've never felt like affects my personal personality um, in terms of how I uh, created my understanding of myself. Um, yeah. Me being black as like a concept always was second to being like this hybrid Jamaican American situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just was like, this is just like a, this is like a blanket that I put over the actual thing because most of you guys aren't interested in like the toy box, which is deep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I very much relate to that where it's like, I think if I had like of the, of the modifiers, first generation is the first one that I would put on myself. Like, or is the most, the most one. Right. I agree. It's because it, it just, whenever you see the word first gen, you're like, oh, I know. Like, you know, there's something like, yeah. there's like a connection there. Like, um, my partner is also first generation um, Dominican American. Mm-hmm. And I think like our experiences, like with us being partners, he just gets me like he just gets certain things. And even though his family is Dominican and my family is from Ghana, it's like there's similarities in our culture are so deep. And, you know, I, it just, it makes things so much easier when you don't have to explain certain things. Like he just gets like when one of our like family members goes home, like back home and we know what home means. That means like to your home country, like, we know that there's going to be a lot of suitcases in the living room and like, like mm-hmm. people are going to be like buying big bottles of aspirin. Like he gets that. And I just like the fact that I didn't have to explain that. And he's just like, I get it. I'm like, you know, it just makes things, <laughs> it makes, it makes life easier. Um, I really, yeah. because yeah, like being first gen is, is such an identifier. It's such a, it, it just, it has such a unique experience. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being in this country. Yeah. And I think the part of it where the reason that it can transcend whatever the um, home nationality is, is because of the hybridization. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, And I think not even necessarily that it happens in the same ways, which often it does, but just the fact that there is distinct, we're like distinctly straddling things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's like that double consciousness that, you know, we all have as black mm-hmm. people, but especially as like first gen or, you know, immigrants or, you know, yeah. children of immigrants. Um, 
it's it's such a it's such a different experience for us. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Um, great. Cacao. Now is the seedling <laughs> round where tiny questions lead to tasty answers. <laughs> How has your relationship to fear changed over the last year? Wow. My relationship to fear is becoming more detached, which I think is really great and really healthy. Um, I think we all know that anxiety, a lot of anxiety is rooted in fear, whether it's fear of the, of the present moment, fear of the future, which it usually is. But um, for me, at least, I know that fear Anytime I make a decision based out of fear, um, rather than removing that fear, when I make decisions based out of fear, they come from the uh, insecurity attaches itself to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I make a fearless decision, something powerful always comes out of it, always. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to understand what fear's role is in my life and learning how to manipulate it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible <laughs> <laughs> trying to literally yeah. it's like a daily effort yeah um how do you measure time i measure time by how i felt in that exact moment mm-hmm. um also i would say something basic is what i was wearing what i was doing how i looked um but definitely how i felt in that moment i would say that is how I measure time. Yeah, I can see that. That sort of creates in my head like this, um, almost like a watercolor, watercolor like blotches, like painting in terms of right. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, cow. Thus ends the seedling round. Okay. So I like to end with two things. The first is I would love if you shared your greatest ambition and manifested it on the show. My greatest ambition? Mm-hmm. Wow. My greatest ambition is to create an actual safe space for Saudi baddies in the community we have, um, whether that's through workshops, whether that's through events. But I think a physical space mm. is so needed. Um, and I'm manifesting that to happen sooner mm-hmm. than later. Love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing is what question um, do you want to leave my audience with? What's the question of the week? Can you tell the difference between your intuition and your trauma? And if you can't, why? And if you can't, how can you distinguish the two? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't ready. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I need to sit on that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Shout out to therapy for giving me like this additional layer of like introspection that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's, that's a question I would definitely want anyone listening to to ponder on so incredible (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) oh my gosh and thank you also for being on the show where can people find you 
You can find Sadie Baddies on Instagram. It's at Sadie, S-A-D-D-I-E underscore Baddies, B-A-D-D-I-E-S. Um, you can also find us on YouTube by the same name, Sadie Baddies. Um, we also have our website, which has a blog. Um, we are always welcoming guest contributors for the blog. So if you want to write about mental health, emotional health, your lived experiences as a black indigenous person of color, you are welcome to write. Um, and yeah, follow us on Twitter. Awesome. <laughs> Twitter is where you get like the, like more of a live stream of like, well, I'm, I'm the one that runs the Twitter, so I would, I would say a lot of it is my thoughts, but I, I do try to foster a conversation on Twitter that I think feels very, very distinct and a little bit different than the Instagram conversations. It's just more like real talk, like, yeah. you know, just conversations you'd have friends with friends, I would say. That's awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. All of that will be in the description as well. Okay. So, thank you again. This was Thank you. Like a true treat. Uh, What a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was was great. This was a great midweek pick-me-up. Hello. Welcome to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you. I hope that you got something out of this. And if you learned something, if you laughed, if you even just like my energy please rate, review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. That will really help for this podcast and this community to grow. That helps me get more guests, and it means I can give you more of this delicious content. Much love, Athena Sayaka.